Let me begin today by asking you a question. Have you heard Jesus? And how do you know you've heard Jesus? Perhaps you've been a professing Christian for decades. You've been in the church. You've been active in the church. And you've been baptized. You've been through uh, the liturgy each week. You participate in the sacraments. You're in fellowship groups. But have you heard Jesus? That's the question. Now, of course, it's important that you be able to answer other questions, like have you believed in Jesus? That's very important, of course. Have you, uh, have you spent time in Scripture today? That's another question we can ask. Have you declared yourself to be members of a local church? Those are important questions. But the central question, believe it or not, within the Bible is this. Have you heard Jesus? And I want to explain this to you today. Now, recently I was reading through Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 4, uh, beginning with verse 17, Paul is exhorting and insisting that these new Christian believers in Ephesus no longer live as their Gentile neighbors. They need to make a clean break with their neighbors within the Gentile community in Ephesus and no longer live like they live. And, and in verse 20, he says this, But you have not so learned Christ, speaking of the lifestyle of the Gentiles, if indeed you have heard him, and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. If indeed you have heard him, and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus. End quote. We'll pause there. There is a translation issue I didn't want to address right away here, and that is that some of your Bibles will read, if you have heard about him. But that's not how the underlying Greek text reads. There's no about within the underlying Greek text. It's just, have you heard him? If you have heard him. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him. There's a direct contact between the Lord Jesus Christ and the community, and the individuals within the community. The Lord Jesus speaks to his church. And you, as part of that church, hear him. Collectively and individually. Now, why is this so very important? And this is the, the delight and the joy that I want to bring you today. Because this has a history extending all the way back to Deuteronomy 18. So... Let's look back, and then we'll pull it forward through the rest of our time together so that you can see why this context throughout redemptive history has been so very important. And so that when we're done here today, you will have the confidence that you have, in fact, heard Jesus and have been taught by him. Okay, let's look at that. Deuteronomy chapter 18. 
and it reads, uh, we're going to start with verse 15. Now, the context here is Moses is preparing to leave the people, and he's reminding them of all that God has done among them. And he says in verse 15, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear according to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, quote, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire any more, lest I die. End quote. And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and will put my words in his mouth. And he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. We'll pause there. Now again, the setting here is Moses is recounting the time at Mount Sinai when the people had grown restless and committed idolatry, and God's wrath had filled the the mountain, they, they had seen the, the fire, and, and the, what they were witnessing and hearing was so uh, terrifying that they trembled. Even Moses trembled. And they asked him, don't let God speak to us anymore, but you speak to him on our behalf and tell us what he says. And in verse 17, um, God says, yes, that's a good idea. What they have spoken is good. Verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So God speaks through a mediator. The people themselves could not hear that voice and live. It goes back also further into Exodus chapter 20, but for time's sake, we won't go there today. You get the point. Moses is saying that, that God will raise up a prophet like himself, and God will put all his words in his mouth, and the people shall hear him. And those who do not hear him, who refuse to hear him, will be cut off from among the people. Okay, God himself will require it of him. Now that's important, too, because God himself will require of any congregation, of any individual who refuses to hear Jesus. Now, let's look at Acts chapter 3 to bring this forward, because that promise... That prophecy, if you will, that God makes to, through Moses is fulfilled in Acts chapter 3. After Peter and John have been at the temple and Peter's healed a lamed man, and now um, Peter is making his defense, his apologetic to the crowd below, and he says this in verse 26, To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you and turning you away from every one of your iniquities. And 
Verse 22, to back up a bit, For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you, and it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. End quote. Peter is saying, shortly following Pentecost, and as a result of the crowd that gathered because of the healing of this uh, man, this layman, he's preaching now in Solomon's portico. The people are hearing him, and he's saying the, the, the word from God to Moses that God would raise up a prophet like Moses and God will put his words in his mouth and you speak them to you and you must hear him has been fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus is that prophet. And so now Peter is pointing the crowd to Jesus as that prophet and saying, he is the one who has come, he has spoken, and you must hear him now. This occurs again in brief in Acts chapter 7, verse 37, with Stephen's defense as he's proclaiming the redemptive history of Israel. And he says to them in verse 37, This is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, the Lord your God will raise up a prophet for you, a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. Now, <clears throat> that crowd that day did not hear Jesus, refused to hear Jesus. They refused to hear Jesus in Stephen. Verse 51 says, so Stephen responds as a, after recounting all of Israel's redemptive history, says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. End quote. Not only have you not received, uh, kept the law that you received through angels, the prophet that was promised to come, like Moses, but even greater than Moses, you have not heard either. You are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in your heart and ears. So this is the context of my question. Have you heard Jesus? John chapter 10, verse 22 through 30, reads like this. <clears throat> Mm, let's see here. 
my sheep hear my voice, verse 27. I was going to give you the whole context, but I'm trying to spare you some time. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. That's the core point of this context. Now, I'll read the context. Now, it was the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem, and it was winter, and Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. When the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep, as I said to you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. That's a greater growing context then. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now, that is a very important point. Jesus knows them, and consequently, they follow him. They don't just believe in him only. They follow him. Now, let me give you a couple other examples here. John chapter 8, verse... 30, uh, we'll begin with verse 30, maintain the context for you. It says, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. And that's where modern evangelists would stop and say, hallelujah, we did our job, we're done, and then leave town. Many believed in him. But verse 31 says this, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. End quote. These people professed belief in Jesus, but they didn't want to follow him, nor did they want to hear him. They were prepared to believe in him, but they weren't prepared to abide in his word and follow him, to do as he taught. So, they had an alternative. They were children of Abraham. They had an alternative narrative. They had an alternative approach by which they believed they were good. Don't need to abide in your word. Don't need to be set free. Don't need to be set free from anything. And Jesus said, you have no idea. You have no idea how in bondage to sin you are. Every time you sin, you're showing yourself to be in bondage to sin. 
Those who have heard Jesus have a different relationship with sin than those who have not. Now, do those who have, have heard Jesus still stumble, still sin? Yes. But it's a whole different relationship to sin. Those who are in Christ, who have heard him, are grieved when they sin. Repent when they, when they sin. They feel godly sorrow when they sin. Those who have not heard him, but yet profess to believe in him, could just continue in their sin as though it was normative. They don't feel godly sorrow. They don't feel grief for their sins. Now, but the point is here in this text is that these people had an alternative to listening to Jesus. And this is a big danger even among Christians today. Who is it that you are listening to? If you haven't heard him and you are not continuing to hear him, who are you listening to? Mark 9 uh, will be our next text there. Mark 9, chapter, uh, verse 1 through 8. Now, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart from themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white, like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And Elijah appeared to the men, to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And a cloud came and overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one anymore, but only Jesus with themselves. I think you get the point in this text, right? This story of the transfiguration up on the mountain. And... Peter jumping to the fact that, well, we know who Jesus is. Now we have Moses and Elijah, too. Let's be careful, being good temple, good tabernacle uh, Jews. Let's memorialize this time so that we can continue to honor Elijah and Moses as well as Jesus. And yet God himself in the cloud, reminiscent of the mountain of Mount Sinai, once again, speaks to Peter, James, and John and says, this is my beloved son. Hear him, emphatic. Hear him. All the law, all the prophets, all the law as represented by Moses, all the prophets as represented by Elijah have been fulfilled in Jesus. And our focal point now for hearing is no longer the law, no longer even the prophets. They all point us to Jesus, and we read them rightly, and we should read them, but we read them rightly only when we, have it, that we experience them as pointing us to Jesus. 
The old covenant and the new covenant are not two parts of one covenant. They are two separate covenants. The new covenant fulfills all previous biblical covenants in the person and finished work of Jesus Christ. So we don't look to Moses anymore. We don't look to Elijah. We look to Jesus who fulfills all that Moses and Elijah taught. Listen to him. Hear him. I like the old authorized version. Hear ye him. It's in the plural. Hear all of you him. So I think you're probably getting the point. It's important that we focus our, not only our eyes, but our ears on Jesus. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 1 as we begin to conclude here. I want to bring you back to Ephesians in a few moments. And I wanted to tell you how it is you can know that you've heard Jesus. But before we do that, let me just turn, build just a little bit more context here. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, reads this way. God, who at various times and in various ways, spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who, being the brightness of his glory in the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. End quote. God, who at various times and various ways spoke to the fathers by the prophets, including Moses and Elijah, as I just told you, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. That's the central focus here. What the people, the Hebrews, are struggling with is the how much credit, how much to rely upon Jesus and his word as opposed to Moses and the prophets and the temple uh, sacrifices and, and all that pointed to Jesus, how much of what we understood as a foreshadow and a pointing to Jesus should we cling to? How much of the old covenant should we cling to? How much of the old covenant practices and liturgy and uh, sacrifices should we hold on to now that we have professed faith in Christ. And that is a controversy, that is a battle, that is a concern for every generation of Christians. And there are those today who would tell you that you can believe in Jesus, but still look to the law as your rule of life. Not to Jesus himself. There are those today who would have you look to the law for sanctification after having looked look to Jesus for your regeneration, your conversion. And that's not what's being said here. In times past, in various ways, in various times, God has spoken. 
by the prophets to the fathers. And these in these last days, and there's less last days today than there were yesterday, beloved. He has spoken to us by his son. Now in verse 1 of chapter 2 of Hebrews, he says, therefore, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord, by the Lord Jesus, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, the apostles heard Jesus, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. Now, before we leave Hebrews, I want to just point out real quickly, then in verse, chapter 3, we hear this phrase repeated, beginning with verse 15. Today, excuse me, actually verse 7. Today, if you will hear his voice... Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. And down to verse 15 again. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And then in chapter 4, verse 7. Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. God has spoken in his Son. And the author goes on in Hebrews to talk about the high priesthood of Jesus as being far superior, greater, and replacing the Levitical priesthood. And yet there are still those today who insist that there's a sacred order of priests within the church, beyond the priesthood of all believers, that there's an ordained sacred order of priests. And that isn't. That's a complete and clear and undeniable violation of everything that the letter of Hebrews talks and speaks to you about regarding the priesthood of Jesus. In fact, in chapter 5, verse 12, it says, for, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. And then up there above all that, in, in verse 11, he says, We have a lot to say about this priest, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. You have become dull of hearing. See, that's the danger. That's the danger all the time in our Christian walk, is that we become dull of hearing. The NIV reads, You don't even try to understand anymore. We become complacent. We're in. We're good. So let me just give you three points here, real quickly, to help you understand whether or not you've heard Jesus or not. You have not heard Jesus if you believe conversion is a one-and-done proposition. 
If you believe that no sanctification or conformity to Christ or to continuing to hear him is required, then you've not heard him. You have not heard Jesus if you are not teaching others by your word and your example of your lifestyle, the way of Christ. If you are not living in such a way that people can look to you and wonder what it is different about you, what it is different about how you think and how you speak and how you live, then, but then theirs, then you have not heard Christ. And if you are no longer listening to his voice, listening for his voice in the text of Scripture during your Bible study, then all you're doing is submitting yourselves to the text of Scripture as if it was some kind of a written moral code. You're treating it as a dead letter. We need to learn to listen to the voice of the Spirit in the text. That's how we learn to continue to follow Jesus and abide in his word. We're continually listening to his voice in the text. So the Christian life is about ever-increasing conformity to Christ in thought, word, and deed, and character. And of course, this is the work of the indwelling Spirit, for you are a new creation in Christ. So what's the answer to our question today? Well, let's conclude with this. Ephesians chapter 4 again. Let's go back to where we started. Ephesians chapter 4. I think you can see now that the question, have you heard Jesus, is a very important question because it goes all the way back. I would dare say this. It is even more important that you be able to answer in the affirmative that you've heard Jesus than to answer in the affirmative that you believed in Jesus. A lot of people say, I believe in Jesus, and don't go on to continue to hear him, and they show they've never heard him, let alone believed in him truly, by the way they live, by the way they behave, by their lack of obedience, their unwillingness to love him above all things. Listen. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, and I'm going to read the entire context, make a few comments, and then we'll be done. But I hope when we close, you will know better. You will have the joyful assurance that you have, in fact, heard Jesus. And you can rejoice in that, you can cling to that, and you can know that God is at work in you by His Spirit, through the word, to conform you into the image of his Son. Beginning with verse 17 again. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. He's saying quite clearly here, if that's your lifestyle, you have not heard Jesus. But you have not so learned Christ. Verse 20. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, 
and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, in the attitude, in how you think, right? Romans 12 tells us that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind and that you put on the new man, which was created. You are a new creation, beloved. You are a new creation. And consequently, according to the promises of the new covenant, you have a new heart and a new mind, and God has caused his spirit to indwell you so that you are a new creation and you are created according to God to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So let me conclude the same way I started. Have you heard Jesus and the answer to the question is, yes, if in fact you are becoming more like him each day, knowing that you are a new creation and that the Christian life for you is about becoming more like the one from whom you have heard. An increase in true righteousness and holiness after the model and image of Christ. That is how you know you've heard from him and been taught by him. Those who have heard Jesus and are continuing to be taught by him are becoming like him, an ever-increasing conformity to him in his thought, his words, his deeds. 1 John 2.6 tells us that those who say they are in him ought to live as he lived. Now there's a challenge. But you didn't know that either. We're just not taught like this. That's part of the problem. We're just not taught to follow Jesus in a way that assures us that we've heard him. We're taught to ascribe to a set of doctrines. We're taught to abide by a set of confessions and creeds. And people can do that and still face eternity apart from him. Now, the only way you can know that you are in him is because you're becoming more like him. And that's, too, how you know you have heard him. Amen.